but at the same time uh, over-engineering the purpose by creating some artificial purpose might create the opposite effect. I observed this a lot in companies where the purpose is not that obvious. And this created a lot of motivation for me. And the other came from autonomy and mastery, working for an agency in this part on projects worked into all three factors. I had a very high grade of autonomy. So they let me do stuff I was totally not qualified for. So I could like learn a lot of things. So this plays into mastery because uh, I was always under pressure creating stuff I had no clue about. Welcome to the Innovation Engineer Podcast, your favorite place for picking brains of your favorite engineers. Now grab your nerdiest mug, fill it with your beverage of choice, and enjoy. My name is Tarek. And my name is Vashi. And before we start with today's topic, I will present you my newest, greatest, and nerdiest mug. Maybe my second nerdiest mug. That's a Witcher cup. I got it as a present from my colleagues from uh, Bitly. That's also why I'm wearing my Bitly shirt today. I have like three shirts and like two hoodies and like multiple caps for them. So they really like merchandise, I guess, and special events and other things. So thank you very much to all my colleagues out there for gifting me uh, my second nerdiest mug. My most nerdiest mug I, I will show in the next episode. Yeah, that's cr pretty much way nerdier than mine. Uh, actually, my cup is also one of my uh, one of my former employers, um, but it is so old and so worn down that you can't read anything anymore. There are some remains of w what was written there <laughs> up here, but the rest already disappeared. Chinese hieroglyphs or something uh, <laughs> similar, right? I can't really see it. So, challenge accepted. You need a new mug. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, today we are not talking about Max only. You wanted to say something. Yeah, right. That, that's basically what I wanted to say. Let's talk about what drives us and what motivates us. And not yes. only us, but uh, also in, in terms of uh, what Daniel Pink wrote in his book Drive, which is one of the standard books from my perspective that everyone who works in modern economy should read because it's really, really enlightening about Uh, understanding the way that we are motivated in our modern times. Um, yeah. Yes, and <laughs> especially for like knowledge workers like we are. So there are like different types of workers. Obviously, when I was like a student and working as a clerk, obviously I didn't need to be motivated. I just needed to sit there for four hours and uh, do my clerk work. But obviously, now that I'm an engineer, it's different. And this book, Drive, um, this is like a really old issue, uh, already yellow pages and so on. It's one of my three top books. So uh, if I recommend books to people, this is one of the three books I recommend. And I like in general two types of books. First one is books which are like show you a different mindset. So like creating the right mindset is one of the most valuable things for leaders and for people in general. So some of my friends who now become older and so on ask me, okay, which book should I read uh, about leadership? And this is one I always uh, recommend because it's not about like, this is like a tutorial and how you do it. And this is a practice. Those books normally suck. Don't follow like a manual for anything. So, but this is about the mindset you actually need. And um, the other type of book um, I really like is um, yeah, inspirational books. The other kind of books I like are inspirational books. Like books which tell you a story from other companies, which you don't take as a manual, but take inspiration from, like Sparks. Often I read books which are contradictory 
to what I believe, actually, to get inspired, to get new ideas from. So those are the two types of books I really like and recommend. First of all, books which change your mindset or give you like uh, another perspective on different mindsets and the other inspirational books. And this book clearly is uh, the former category mindset, changing like your mindset, forming your mindset. And I really love it. So, but Tarek, what's the book actually about? Uh, the book is about a frame. No, I, I wouldn't say framework, a way of structuring the aspects that motivate us uh, as modern knowledge workers uh, in today's society. And of course, this is, let's say, a theory, uh, a way of uh, seeing the way that we are motivated today. Not everyone has to agree, but so far I really like um, this approach and I do believe that it is applicable for most people that are working in today's society. And um, what Daniel Pink is describing is the so-called motivation 3.0. And he introduces this new way of thinking by going back in time and telling us that uh, back in the day we were motivated to not dying. And that's why we were hunting deer, for example, because we need to eat so that we don't starve. This is very good motivation to do things. Yeah? I'm motivated to, to hunt, to eat meat. Um, and of course, this is still applicable for today. I still need to eat and I'm very strongly motivated to do something to fill my stomach. Um, but when, as society... Um, progressed we learned that we can earn money and with this money uh, buy food in the supermarket for example and this extended our way of motivating us not to directly hunt food in the forest but to do things to earn money and this is um, the so-called motivation 2.0 so that we go to work we get a job we buy we get money so that we can buy food and pay rent, for example, and buy clothing and all these basic necessities that we have, um, this is motivated. This motivates us to go to work every day and work for money. Um, but we already know that this is something that is not everything for us. And as this, this way of thinking describes, when I'm not hungry anymore, I will not go hunting. And when I uh, fulfilled my duties for work so that I get my paycheck, I will not continue this work because my, my needs are satisfied. But we already um, observe in our modern world that there are things that keep us doing the things that we are doing without getting paid, without getting fed. But we still do it day and night and we are driven to do these things. And this is the question, why are we doing things without getting paid, without the need to eat? And this is what Daniel Pink describes in uh, in his book as motivation 3.0 in terms of what drives us. And there he specifically describes three aspects. And this is, let's say, the core philosophy of this book, um, that we are driven through these three aspects. And those are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I think this is very, very strong, even though it sounds so obvious and so simple, actually thinking about what mastery, autonomy and purpose means for us helps us to see why people are doing the things that they are doing. And not only us by looking into the mirror and understanding why I have this passion for the specific project or this, the passion to go into the one direction, but also, for example, as you said, Vashi, uh, in, in leadership, understanding the people you are working with, why they are driven to a certain direction or why they are behaving in a certain way and trying to map this in, into their drive for autonomy, mastery and purpose, it really understands you to, to 
create this this uh, mental image, this mental projection of this person in your mind to really understand why they are going into a certain direction, or maybe even not. Yeah, because uh, I I think it might be even more important to understand why certain things are not motivational for certain people and you see maybe there's the purpose missing right you see ah absolutely autonomous work and mastery but maybe the purpose does not fit into this mental framework of this of this person and that's why i i really think that this book opens up your mind to understand what makes people tick in terms of motivation why are we doing the things that we are doing Do you agree so far with uh, how I interpret or how I summed up the the essence of the book? Yes, totally. That's, that's what the book is about. Why are we doing things? There are like two other facts about the book I need to mention. First is, this book is a little bit different. So first of all, Daniel Pink did not invent everything here. This is more like a meter study. So he takes dozens of studies, summarizes them, and... Uh, It's more like a journalistic work. So he takes different other um, studies uh, through ages, actually, and explain their outcome, what it means, actually, and why this matters for you right now for the question he stated at the, at the beginning of the book. So he starts with a theory, like this motivation 3.0, and then, then he goes on. The second fact about this book is that By doing this, there are some hard parts of this book. So this is not your like your easiest read. It's not the hardest read. So it's not like uh, a university book, which is full of things you really need to chew through. This is still, and like, let's call it modern book. Okay. Uh, but it's not, not a story. It's not easy to digest. And when I read it for the first time, I need a lot of breaks because he goes on with very dry stuff for like five pages until something juicy comes again. So um, it's not like your typical New York Times bestseller whatsoever, which is like six hours, super easy to digest. It's not a long book, but um, you will need some some brain time in between reading it, right? Yeah. And another thing you said, which I really loved about the book and it changed my mindset a little bit. That's why I also loved it. Uh, certain people you said okay you will change your view on certain people and how they're motivated uh, there are different things he says in this book uh, for example you can think about your job as your calling so like uh, stuff you do and love or it could be um even just you do it to get money actually you don't really like it but it pays the bill so you do it and it's okay and so on and what he also says with different underlying with different studies is that it doesn't matter how good you are. So there is no correlation between if it's your calling, if it's just a job you're doing or whatever, and how good you do your job. So there is no correlation. That's a fact you need to accept first to understand other things about the book. You can be a great engineer, even if it's not your calling, and your calling is, I don't know, breeding bees and creating honey and so on. That's the thing I loved. I needed two years to accept this truth, by the way. So there was a phase in my life um, also before I read the book where I was one of these elitist programmers. So there was one really good female programmer on my team. When I asked her, so uh, what computer do you have at home? Said, I don't have a computer at home. And I was like, okay, but how do you program in your, like, your free time? We have here desktop PCs and so on. And she said, I don't do it at home. I do it at work. Why would I do work stuff? This is only work for me. And I was like, oh, this is blasphemy, heretic. How can you do this? How can you be good that's not acceptable? So that was my thinking by the time before I read the book, by the way. 
So what, what did you actually get from your mindset from the book? Yeah, um, for me, I, I remembered in the time, for example, before I, I went to work as a child, um, I, I really loved playing with Legos. And um, for me, it was always just accepting it was my favorite toy. But if I reflect today um, why I was so driven to build things, then I understood this is exactly what is driving me today. I am a person who loves building things. And um, when I played with Legos, I did exactly the same thing that I do today as an adult. But my job today is basically doing the same thing building prototypes, building technology pieces that are doing great things and trying to find out what they are doing and doing this in a very autonomous way. And so I really understood that the, the core values of my, of my mind work exactly in this way, um, that, that I'm driven exactly based on this philosophy. And so um, th this, this was the moment for me where I understood, okay, this, there is actually something on it and I can apply this way of thinking not only to my working way of working today but uh, into everything that i'm doing and even with this podcast yeah it, it gives me the maximum amount of autonomy i'm becoming better and better with this uh, and and the purpose is to actually transport all these things that that we learned over the years uh, over 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 careers to other young engineers or other people who want to reflect on our things that we learned so far on their way of working um, and and this is a great thing yeah and i understand i'm not getting paid for for this podcast not yet <laughs> we are we are not uh, good enough uh, yet so we have to master this thing right and become better and better and transport this message to more and more people yeah um, but but it, it fits so perfectly and that's why i'm loving this so much it, it really fits the way that we are doing things today yeah even without pay yeah one could ask why are you doing all this work without earning a single cent yeah i love this podcast this is the best podcast for software engineers believe me uh, i'm doing this podcast because i love producing stuff for me it's more about learning to edit videos this is like a hobby for me right this is something i love i learned that i really like it to record stuff i have multiple cameras Even if I don't do much with it, I like uh, setting up the lighting, learning about uh, our first episodes were so bad. My first videos were so bad and I still loved it. I love the process of making videos. And in the book, he tells a story about an experiment, which they repeated multiple times, about a kindergarten. So uh, the parents were always late picking up children at the kindergarten. So uh, I think it closed at five and a lot of parents came 10 minutes after five. So in the kindergarten, um, uh, they thought about, okay, we're introducing a fee. So uh, for every 10 minutes you are late, you're paying $10. And the result was that parents now are extra late. Some even came at six and paid like $60. Um, and then he asked, Why did this happen? And the answer is very simple. Um, they were on time because there was an intrinsic motivation, not a motivation coming from the outside, but a motivation coming from the values of the parents. Um, they don't want to be late because they knew the staff wants uh, to like finish uh, the day and um, go home and so on. So they tried to be on time and they felt guilty if they came late. But by introducing a fee, this became an, a rational transaction. So this means that they could just pay like $30, 
they don't need to feel guilty and then okay uh, I'm, I'm late uh, at work i have a meeting okay i will be uh, 30 minutes later that's 30 dollars i can that's that's okay it's only 30 dollars right so this means that you sh should be really careful uh, about this kind of motivational factors especially for knowledge work and he, he gives more examples of this and the other thing he describes which i really really love is the opposite it's uh, the uh, tom sawyer effect or not only sawyer effect It uh, comes from Tom Sawyer, who's tasked with painting a fence. And the other children who have nothing to do, they play and they come and make fun of him. Ha ha, you need to work, you need to paint the fence. And he's like, what do you want? This is so much fun. It's way more fun than running around. And the other kids got curious. Okay, let me try it out. And he was, no, you're not trying it out. This is like my work uh, and so on. Um, Not sure if I remember correctly uh, if he took money from them, but uh, he let the other children do his work for him and it was a game for them. So they were really happy. So he was standing at the side, whistling, having fun and just looking at the other children, doing his work and painting the fence. This means that the distinction between work and like game or gaming, whatever you want to call it, is like very small. It's just like how you think about stuff. And that's the same with our podcast. So I, if, if anybody asks me how much do I work, I don't count this, uh, countless hours in video producing, learning stuff, trying out, uh, listening to each episode for like four times until I publish it, which takes ages. I don't think of this as work. This is gaming time for me, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> I think the story, the sorry effect, I think um, he, he does not take money for them to paint the fence but i think you just came up with like an extended version of this thing <laughs> by making a business out of uh, of selling passion to other people yeah right <laughs> the book in general is about that every person has the same psychological needs but different strategies to fulfill them and how can you actually how can you destroy actually um the the drive of people that's why the book is called drive why what drives people to do things they do And what destroys this drive? And as he said, you have three things, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. So I think purpose is one thing uh, which in the current new work culture, there is this new work wokeness. Um, so every company needs a purpose in the last, I would say, five years. So it's a little bit overused, but I still think it's, it's very, very important to, to have a purpose, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, even though this purpose does not need to be like over-engineered, um, you need like a general direction. You need to understand what you're working towards and what your work is actually creating. Yeah, you you should not have the feeling that your work is simply going into into the ether and it does not matter. Um, but at the same time, uh, over-engineering the purpose by creating some artificial purpose might create the opposite effect. I, I um, observed this uh, a lot in companies where the purpose is not that obvious. Uh, for example, if you're working for an agency and the agency does not directly save the planet or create human spaceflight or something, but simply, I don't know, build database for business applications or something like that. It's very, very hard to actually like pull a real purpose out of this than people are paying us to do this. But I observed that companies try to create a purpose by saying, I don't know, uh, we create the cleanest database infrastructure and making the world a better place by the most efficient data access response times, or <laughs> something like that. And people 
if you work for this company, you can't take them serious anymore after they try to do this and then recreating a new purpose every every year or so. And then you spend so much time inventing artificial purposes that that it does not feel real anymore. And then it, it causes the opposite effect. Um, you feel that you're wasting time by um, by artificially fit into this framework and create some purpose. And the, the real purpose might simply be we are very efficient in our, um, in our way of working as an agency that uh, we never have to worry about getting new customers because the customers are keep following us because our work is so great and we have this great um, uh, price delivery value um, that, that we always have enough customers to fill our pipeline It might be very, very easy like that. So my advice in this direction is um, not to try to do what everyone is doing and create an artificial purpose that saves the world and creates this, um, this artificial purpose simply for the purpose sake, but be authentic and really try to understand what people are working towards so that every single worker who invest their time and work into your projects and to um, whatever you're doing, sees where this work is, is going into and what he is actually creating with this. Yeah? And uh, authenticity is not part of the framework from Daniel Pink, but I think this is very, very important because people don't want to lie to themselves and want to be lied by their employer yeah? simply for motivational sakes because this always goes into the wrong direction. This, this always destroys um, the, the credibility, the trustworthiness of, of the employer. Right, right. I agree. And with purpose, you have two different things, uh, the personal level and this like a company level. My tips for, for companies thinking about uh, purpose, first of all, um, the purpose you have should help you with decision making. So think about your purpose if you have um, like A decision, should we do it that way? That way, should we take a shortcut? Should we build an app? Your purpose should tell you what to do and in which direction to go. So this is the first rule. If your purpose does not help you make a decision on a, on a daily basis, maybe it's the wrong purpose. And the other thing is, uh, if you can't, if the opposite of your single word in your purpose does not make sense, that's bullshit. It's just like new work, book washing. So everything you say, Uh, if you write down your purpose, write down the opposite. And if there is an opposite or the opposite does not make sense, then this is like just does not make any sense. And you said agency. So I, I give you two examples. Um, the first one is I worked in agencies for 10 years. And the feeling of purpose I had, for example, in this one agency was way higher, my personal purpose feeling um, and my motivation than I worked when I worked for product companies. Because when I worked on a project, it was a limited number of people. It was a very clear goal. And this gave me purpose of reaching this goal, building an application. Obviously, if you, if you build something which is never going to be used, I had this in one project, it was thrown away afterwards. But this was enterprise world. They paid like 300,000 uh, euros for it. Then when we delivered, they just threw it out of the window because it was planned like five years ago, German bureaucracy. But normally, uh, you are on a small team in a project and you create something, your customer pays a lot of money for you and they really want it and need it. And this created a lot of motivation for me. And the other came also a little bit from autonomy and mastery, working for an agency in this part on projects worked into all three factors. I had a very high grade of autonomy. So they let me do stuff I was totally not qualified for. So the learning curve in agencies is very high. Um, uh, I could like 
learned a lot of things. So this plays into mastery because uh, I was always under pressure creating stuff I had no clue about. Um, not too much that I was demotivated, but enough that I really needed to learn a lot of things. And I had this great purpose of finishing this project, which people needed, right? So working for an agency can feel way more motivating. And that's why agencies often pay very bad. I say this very often when I worked for agencies, I was paid so badly and worked so long hours. But why did I accept this? I'm an engineer. I could just change jobs. I, why did I work so long hours? It's because I was so motivated, right? Because it played into this. And the other thing is we need a special episode for OKRs. One company subject uh, for a company I once worked for, they said, okay, we want in one year to double our revenue. And then the coaches came, yeah, doubling revenue. That's a bad subject. That's total bullshit. You can't do it. And the founder still went with it. And I was like, this is actually a really, really great purpose and subject, even if it goes against the textbooks. And why? Because if you want in one year to double revenue, you really need to get some tricks out of your sleeves. So this was, okay, let's brainstorm. What can we do? This is like in one year doubling everything. This is like a super hard task. Throw all the standard stuff we do out of the window. Let's think in totally different ways. That's a 10x mindset, right? It was a really great year and everyone had a lot of fun because it was like a, a kind of a marathon. It's, it's great that you just said OKR, because this is exactly what I was waiting, what I was burning to throw into, into the discussion. Uh, and even though OKR is not necessi necessarily bind uh, or co um, linked to Daniel Ping's drive, but I saw exactly the, the same thoughts that um, understanding and structuring is a common cause, a purpose, and breaking this down into... Um, into objectives is exactly what uh, this OKR framework is doing and um, aligning people with understanding what specific things that they are doing to reach certain objectives is aligning them in their common cause. And so I think this is a great extension of this way of thinking, of saying we already have a common cause, we have a purpose, let's break this down into actionable things that we can do and measure them and voila, we are at OKRs. And I think OKR is also a very, very misunderstood framework and hated by so many people for the wrong reasons. And that's why I also think that OKR will definitely get another episode uh, in our podcast to bring over the message of how do OKR right and how you could do it wrong. <laughs> and I think many people are doing it wrong and that's why it is so hated. <laughs> yes, And for the regular um, listeners or viewers to our podcasts, I voiced my opinion to OKRs quite often. I like them, but I see so many companies making so many mistakes. Yeah. And they also play into the, the, the second factor, which is autonomy. So that's also um, a mistake a lot of people do when implementing OKRs. They don't give enough autonomy. And again, uh, I think it was episode two, self-organizing teams. Are self-organizing teams killing your company? A, a big question, how do you split and structure teams? Who is part of your team? Who's not? And the goal should always be that they should be as autonomous as possible. And if you have external stakeholders, do you have a fake product owner? That's, again, a reason uh, why I don't like product owners. They write sometimes only a proxy, so like a fake product owner, more like a project manager. And uh, sometimes they are just bad. <laughs> Or sometimes they have a, a boss, the head of product. I've seen this too. Like uh, the head of product, um, each time the product owner needs to do a decision, he does not do it, even if they have OKRs, even if they have a purpose, he does not decide on himself. He talks with his boss and his boss gives his opinion. And then he just says, okay, but management said. 
And this is like an issue because this takes away um, autonomy. Right, right. And also, if you, again, think into the other direction, um, I observe myself that as soon as someone starts micromanage me, um, I completely lose interest in, um, in not in driving this thing uh, forward, but um, I, I feel like this task is taken out of my hand. Someone starts to micromanage me, I, I automatically switch into this mode of fulfilling the micromanaged task and not the purpose anymore. Um, as, as a part of the code of conduct for professional developers, um, don't let yourself be micromanaged, but take your manager, take the person who tries to micromanage you and reflect this to him. Yeah, We can do this this and that way, but are you sure that you want to take over exactly the responsibility for every single task? Because then you can hire a code monkey who is doing these things, but you hired me for doing a better work than these micromanaged tasks, right? Um, so, so this is like poison, on, in my, my perspective, poison for everyone who who really wants to excel at their job and to do really great job in, in the thinking works in, in the creative uh, working environment. Yeah, and this is perfectly described um, by this aspect of autonomous work. Now, you need this autonomy to actually understand what the best way and the best solution is to reach your common goal. One um, recommendation I have for every manager, always delegate decisions down. Don't make the decisions yourself, set the framing. Um, and obviously don't overrule a decision. If you give the freedom to someone to make a decision, just accept their decision. Do you have other examples yeah. of uh, micromanagement? The micromanagement <laughs> uh, you directly exper uh, experienced yourself? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you already mentioned uh, product owners. And I think this is a very, very... Uh, um, the dangerous topic <laughs> because uh, I might piss off a lot of product owners but here you again have this problem of half knowledge there are a lot of product owners who have some um, some experience in, in the technical field yeah? and if we now go back to the realm of software development um, and they they feel that this is, it's a good thing that they know a little bit about IT so that they can make better IT-oriented decisions. Um, but this sometimes causes problems because they only have this half picture and they try to make product-oriented decisions in the field of engineering. And of course, it does not hurt for the product owner to have a basic understanding of what happens technically so that he can talk to the developers in their language, let's say it like that. But uh, it does not make sense to have this half knowledge and then do technical decisions like for example decide for a certain technology or a platform or a cloud provider because he read an article about that yeah and so this um this invites some form of micromanagement um, use your knowledge for more um, interactivity for more exchanging opinions and discussing things together with the developers but do not take away the autonomy of um of making the right decisions for the common cause. Everyone has to understand what we are doing, where we are going, but this, um, this aspect of synergy comes from trusting that the other parties around you 
are also capable of doing these things, have the same drive, have the same goals, the same purpose, and also enjoy this degree of autonomy. That's actually the, the basics of agile and also of everything else, communication. So it's not about a single person doing a decision. It's about communication and uh, consulting everyone. So everyone could voice his opinion. You don't need to uh, accept every opinion or go by uh, their um, thinking. The question of, for example, which technology stack to choose is very hard. And it's not an easy thing. And it's also in a company. Uh, how much autonomy do you give a team or don't give a team? And how did you come to a, a conclusion? This is, is very hard and needs a lot of discussion and communication. It's not an easy thing, even like only in the engineering department, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, of course. And um, there are more things to consider than the technology itself. And this is also something that you understand if you are often enough in these situations. There is not the one right solution and the one wrong solution or the one good technology or the one bad technology. And that's why we are always using and choosing this this one particular technology. But um, if you are taking a look at requirements engineering and the project setups themselves, there you come again back to, to the why of everything, the, the purpose and the infrastructure around you. And there might be that there's like a, um, a bad technology, but it is the best ch choice in this particular moment because it is... I don't know, maybe easy to implement or you already have some components ready or you you actually have the knowledge in the team and you have a time frame of four weeks or something like that. So you might choose a bad technology, but in this particular context, it's the best way to go because it fulfills all your requirements and the framework that you're in. And that's why you need people who can un who can answer this, this particular question. And choosing a technology without understanding the, the surrounding might cause a lot of trouble, even though you might have chosen the most amazing software ever, if it does not feed your, your environment and your specific requirements that you have at that point in time. Um, then yeah, you do not do yourself a favor. And that's why you need the expertise from the team and the autonomy to, or the autonomy of everyone um, to, to, to voice their opinion and to go in there and actually find the, the best solution at this given time. Yeah, so we need totally a uh, dedicated podcast episode for the question, should you, uh, let you, should you let your teams choose their own tech stack and how far should you go? Yeah. Because this is so, such a big topic and I could say many, many other things about it. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, <laughs> obviously. So, uh, and the third thing, because we need to, to hurry up to mm -hmm. not like yes. uh, waste two hours talking about tech stack, um, Daniel Pink mentions this mastery. And for me, mastery is yeah. the hardest topic, actually. That's, that's the hardest thing to get your head around, actually. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. Absolutely. I think autonomy and purpose are almost self-explaining. Yeah, But mastery, um, it should be self-explaining, but it is not necessarily self-explaining because um, you, you, you always get better by doing things But I wonder, why do I need to strive for mastery if I'm just enjoying myself? Yeah? And if I'm doing painting as a hobby, I do not need to be a master painter. Yeah? But um, th there is a, an absolute truth in there um, that um, when I really want to go in there, and uh, Daniel Pink des describes um, this aspect of flow and flow state, which is an essential part of actually becoming a master of your craft, um, that uh, that you you have to you have to let yourself go in there. 
Um, and that, that's why I think mastery is almost like an, a mindset of, of its own, that you push yourself into this direction of actually getting better in these things so that um, you, you keep enjoying it. And um, in terms of motivation, I think I once read that you do not find motivation or you do not get motivation, but you create motivation by doing the things that, that you want to do. Yeah? And while you're doing it and while you're getting better at you generate this motivational drive. And that's why I think mastery might be the biggest or most important aspect of, of this whole, whole framework because um, this is what actually gets you going in, in this direction. Yeah? If, if you have a clear purpose but you do not get better at something or maybe even get worse at, at something, it is really, really hard to keep your motivation up because you do not see the, the required output that you, you need to go into this direction. Um, and that's why I think um, being able to get into this, this flow state of, uh, of generating output and see yourself becoming better is one of the, the biggest aspects that is often also uh, misunderstood in, in this framework. What is your opinion about this, this mastery aspect? First of all, to get into flow state, you need a specific level of mastery. So if you try something new, you will never get into flow because you need to concentrate all the time. Right. So to get into flow, you need um, a task which is uh, taxing. So it's, you cannot fully automate it uh, like in your mind, uh, but you need to be good enough uh, that you can somehow let your mind slip away a little bit. So th this mm. is like a kind of threshold where you can actually get into to flow. And uh, the other thing he says is you need a task where you can get better at to really have intrinsic motivation. If it's something uh, you just do, um, but you're not aiming to become better because it's just like a simple manual task or labor, um, then it will not motivate you. So, for example, um, I love helping my friends move. I'm really motivated to do it. A lot of people hate it. And the reason is because I think different in it, because this is like, taxing on your body and I want to become mm. more fit. I want to strengthen my muscles. And I know that like each one of my friends who moves is like a chance for me to work out actually. So this is for me workout and I can better, I can become stronger. So this is like a motivational factor for me. And the same is true with like um, software engineering. So uh, also in, in companies I work where there were people who were so good, they had like open source projects, which are awesome with 10,000 stars and they could create awesome assembler code, which is highly optimized. They were still not the best engineers. The moment they think they are good or they are the best, that's the moment they stop. That, that's actually what makes it so hard. It's this mastery aspect is not about really mastering a skill. It's more, again, about your mindset, how you think about what you do, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my point. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so, so having having this goal in front of your eyes is not only the goal from the purpose aspect yeah you're not only um saving the world but um your goal is also becoming good at what you're doing the goal is and that's why you technically never reach this goal because you will never be done becoming better yeah and uh, your, your example was very very good that if you see i am already the best in what i'm doing and there's no way of becoming better then it's it's very easy to lose interest, right? Because yeah, it's 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 done. Uh, I can I can do it, but then it becomes like this um, 
repetitive task that you're doing. You're doing it just for repeating yourself. You're not excelling at it. Um, and so yeah. I, I, I really agree that this mindset of always becoming better and always striving for um, for this this feeling of mastery is an essential point in, in doing the things that we are doing. Uh, and I, especially in the creative business, I don't see that there is a way of actually getting done, be becoming the best you can do. There, there is not this threshold. Yeah? And, and that's why I really think this mindset is essential for keeping yourself motivated. One last point to mastery. There is a big misinterpretation between a lot of engineers I saw. There are other engineers, obviously, who, who read this book and then they are like, quality, quality, quality. So in, in the Java world, there's this clean code movement. I love the book, clean code, but um, obviously there are like, again, misinterpretations of the book. So for example, um, also extreme programming. Extreme programming means if unit testing is good, we should test everything, yeah? the, everything to the extreme. What is good? Do it to the extreme. There's also the danger of misinterpreting it. For example, mastery does not mean to write the best code, the best tested code. I had engineers who at each project, it doesn't matter what it was. And again, software is so different. There's like, you can uh, work on a microcontroller, you work uh, on, on a rocket, you can work on a missile guiding system, you can work on, I don't know, a washing machine and a web application, you can work on, on camera software. This is so wide of a range of what, what software actually means that you cannot have a single statement to be true all the time and everywhere. And again, those engineers, they uh, said, no, we need to write unit tests. And I was, okay, this is a three months um, prototype in MVC. No, I have bad experience. And they let us uh, create a new project uh, out of it. And then we don't have any tests. And says, okay, this is like fear-driven development. Don't let your fears take over. Even if this happens, then um, act accordingly when it happens. And don't let fear of the future, what may be in the future, um, drive you no. Obviously, you should think about the future and make decisions if you already know or assume something to be true, but don't invest like 150% of the work just because out of fear. And mastery does not mean to write the best quality and the best software. I worked on media projects, uh, which we like canceled after six months, where we haven't had single unit tests where the code looked super ugly, hacked together a prototype, deployed it manually without a real CI CD pipeline, and it was the right thing to do. And we had young engineers complaining that this is all shit and so on. And this is because um, you should not waste stuff. This was like a prototype. We wanted to try it out. This is again, my second favorite book, or one of my three favorite books is Lean Startup and applying the methods of Lean Startup uh, in your daily life. This was a prototype, throw it away, write a CI/CD pipeline later when you need it. We didn't need it for the first three months uh, and so on. Mastery does not mean perfect code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. <laughs> and yeah. I, I uh, see myself quoting this uh, a lot of times, yeah, that quality does not or product quality, good product development does not necessarily mean uh, code quality, yeah, but actually getting things done in terms of what the project or the product needs. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Sadly, a lot of pure engineering books try to teach that you always need maximum quality and you always need tests. I think this is wrong. Yeah, it's a very powerful tool to achieve things that are commonly required. And if you build very solid production software, it is generally 
um, recommended to back this with test, right? So in, in most of the times, it actually applies to what you're doing. But it's not like a general rule that whenever you write a line of code, it needs to be tested with five uh, unit tests. Yeah, this is not the way of creating um, efficient software. Yes, I agree. Let's talk about another uh, other practical applications of the book. Do you have other things in mind? Difficult question. <laughs> I think... Um, one aspect that where I use this book a lot is if uh, I sit in a in a job interview and I interview um, people who will be my coworkers, my potential coworkers in the future. Um, I usually try to map what their point of view is in terms of uh, motivation, so that I can understand where they are going and if their way of thinking is kind of aligned with with the company. Yeah, and this does not mean that there are like the the correct answers or the bad answers uh, for these uh, motivational questions. Um, but I I really try to understand uh, if this job will pay into their um, their quest for mastery, for example, or um, if their purposes are aligned with what we are doing. Because if not, then it might happen that we. Uh, That, that we are not working on the same things, right? Because, for example, you can create code as your job. Uh, this is this is fine, and then you go home and you will never think about it again. Um, but very, very valuable, a very valuable aspect of of um, a high end developer and uh, and and someone who's taking this job to the next level is to actually trying to become better at what they are doing. Yeah, not to have the feeling. I already earned my senior development title yeah, after three years of working, so I'm done. Yeah, The, the things that I'm doing, that, that I do, they are already good enough, and so I do not need to take another development class or need to learn another programming language because I'm already there. I'm already getting paid, and that's it. Yeah, And this is something that... Yeah, if you need like a muscle in the team and he's doing some lines of code, okay. But usually, if you want to have have like this um, th this high end developer, someone who's really excelling at this job, you want to have you want to see this motivation 3.0, someone who tries to get better with every day of his work and trying to fulfill this this quest for mastery. Yeah, and that's why I I try to to get these these aspects out of of the the applicants. Yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm a Java backend developer. I only do Spring framework. I don't care about the rest. I only do Java backend. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> for a certain type of job, this, this might be okay, but that's that's not like the 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 power player that you're usually looking for. Yes, because he's not looking into growing. So I, that, that's the kind of people I mean, uh, which may have 20 years of experience, but they did 20 years of the Spring Framework in Java, and it's still the same. They don't learn new stuff. So um, this is like mm -hmm. not somebody you want to have. And he's also very fixed in his mindset, so he will also be bad for the culture of your team. Um, yes, there may be a point where you need a Java expert, but you don't want the Java expert who did Java for 20 years at only Java, because... This person has a fixed mindset. That's that's not good for your product, not good for your company. So for, for me, um, for the first, like, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years after I read the book, I took a lot of inspiration from the book, but um, it was way later when I saw companies which really um, try to work, have a culture 
formed by this book. So um, there are different examples. Obviously, Netflix. Uh, the other is uh, Bandcamp, formerly known as Signal 37, which also uh, where they also wrote a book, which is called We Work. It's, it's a very short book. Um, and the other book is obviously all the stuff from Netflix, the Netflix Culture Code, the old presentation from like 12 years ago, uh, and the newest book, No Rules Rules, which I also mentioned multiple times already. Um, those are companies um, where you can take inspiration from, where they work more about this motivational principle of drive. And uh, obviously, um, a lot of stuff from, from the Asia framework is also inspired by this book. And there's another great book, which I recommend any new manager, IT manager, which is Management 3.0, which is uh, a, a lot about tools, actually. So this is a book, especially there's a short uh, book about it, where they only give you tools you can use in this new uh, Motivation 3.0 world to uh, work with your people, to think outside the box. You are not a manager anymore, managing people. You are now a leader, and those are your new tools. So you need a new toolbox, actually. So if you really believe in the stuff in this book and have adjusted your mindset, um, there are other tools out there. And the first thing I, I tell people is, okay, now you have read Drive, now go get Management 3.0 and try out the stuff he, he tells you because he has a lot of games in there, toolboxes, uh, stuff to try out. I call this... Um, cultural hacks, because obviously you are still in the uh, Motivation 2.0 world and you need to change your culture. And how can you change your culture with small hacks? And those are explained in this book. And um, those are the most practical applications you can actually try out. First, change your mindset. Second, change your culture. Okay. So I think we should wrap this up. Let's wrap it up by um, five points. So what's your first point every listener should uh, take away? from this podcast my, my first point is um you should understand your your own drive to become happy <laughs> it's very very easy yeah but happiness uh in in what you're doing in your job in in your everyday life um can be supported by understanding your own motivation 3.0 so go so reflect on yourself and understand what drives you My first point is actually don't die. So obviously <laughs> you need the, the first uh, and second motivational factors to even think about this kind of stuff. So first is think about your basic needs. Stay healthy, really stay healthy. Even as a, especially as an engineer sitting in your chair all the day, not moving enough with COVID and so on. Um, think about your health first. Second, obviously you need to be in, in, in a stage in your life Uh, where you're safe, where you have enough money, you need to really think about, oh God, can I pay my next meal and so on? And then you can go on. So what's your next point? My next point is uh, understanding others. So uh, uh, see what other people are driven to and uh, this helps you create empathy and a very collaborative culture and helps you align with other people. My next point is... Um, How good you are in your job has nothing to do if it's your calling, you just do it for money or for whatever reason. There's no direct correlation between everything. So except there are people out there, even engineers who don't do uh, programming in their spare time and they can still be great. They could also be bad or they could be great, but there's no correlation if they do stuff in their spare time or not. Very cool. Your next point? Yeah, my next point is uh, choose the right tools. 
um, so understanding things like OKR, for example, um, to actually get a structure in what you're doing and um, to support the things that, that you're striving for. What's your third? My third point is um, if you have a purpose and you should have one as a company and obviously on a private level, it should be authentic and it should help you make decisions on a daily basis, actually. And you should think about if there is like kind of opposite words for what's in your um, purpose and if they make sense, then that's good. But it should always help guide you in your decisions. That's what a purpose is meant to help you with. Do you have another point? Yeah, my fourth point is uh, be open for purpose. Uh, purpose might not be that obvious, you know, like saving the world, but uh, your personal purpose, the things that you are striving for, can be very abstract. So be open for anything that you are striving for. Yeah, it might not be obvious. What's your fourth? Well, I actually already have three points, but I wanted to, to give one last point about autonomy, actually. Um, as a manager and in every role, try to always delegate decisions down. Don't do decisions on yourself, except if they were delegated to you, delegate them down. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> What are we going to talk about next week? That is a very, very good question. And I... Three uh, letters. Three letters for you. OKR. Yeah. Is it OKR? I think it is OKR. <laughs> I, I, I thought I thought this. Uh, I did not want to uh, kick other topics from our backlog, but I don't have the backlog in front of our eyes. But I, I think OKR is a very very good topic that we can directly dive dive into because we both have experience, practical experience with OKR, and a lot of stories to tell. Yes. So let's uh, meet again next week for uh, discussing OKR and what you probably are doing wrong with OKR and how to apply it to really um, use the best out of this framework to stay motivated and get the best out of your project. Yeah, see you again next week at the same time on the same spot. Bye! Bye! Thanks so much for listening to the Innovation Engineer podcast. If you take any value from our content, please make sure to rate us wherever you're listening right now. All articles, products, and references we discussed in this episode will be linked in the show notes. Some of the links we provide are affiliate links that generate a small commission for us without costing you extra. Any support is highly appreciated and helps us keep this podcast alive. Visit theinnovationengineer.com to find more content about software engineering, innovation, and the hottest trends in tech today. Stay awesome. 